Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. Hello, I'm John Langer. And in this show, we're going to continue what we started last week, a discussion of Facebook and its connection with the Cambridge Analytica data mining scandal. Now, without exaggeration, I could probably say that almost every media outlet around the globe has offered some kind of commentary or criticism or indeed advice for Facebook users. On Monday, The Age here in Melbourne ran an editorial with warnings and cautions. And yesterday, there was yet another column with the writer agonizing about how hard it would be to break up with Facebook after she, what she described as her long-term 14-year relationship. Now, a lot of this commentary tends to focus on Facebook users as customers or consumers. We need to read the fine print, it says, or the company needs to explain the contractual arrangements in simple and easy, accessible terms. Sarah Joseph is the director of the Kasten Center for Human Rights Law at Monash University, and she says that if we're going to put Facebook under the microscope, let's do it not from the point of view of the consumer, but in relation to human rights. Hello, Sarah. Good evening. Now, you say that there's a kind of a contradictory pull around social media. On the one side, social media has been a plus for human rights. And then on the other side, social media can create human rights difficulties. And you point out some interesting examples related to who gets to have a voice and how those voices are used in the public sphere. Could you tell us what you're getting at here? Um, well, that sounds like you're focusing on the um, on the plus side. Um, that um, sorry, I'm just going to move uh, <laughs> some noise outside. Um, that um, uh, I mean, I, I think Facebook has certainly, or, or not just Facebook, but all social media has, um, uh, on the plus side of things, has certainly, um, I suppose, elevated voices or amplified voices that just sort of weren't heard in you know the so-called marketplace of ideas before. Um, you know that um, prior to social media. Uh, the main voices that we possibly heard in society were um, dominated by the mainstream media. And, you know, the mainstream media is still very powerful, but now, um, you know, now um, a lot of, if you like, the media agenda is actually, you know, there's a kind of symbiotic relationship where a lot of it comes from social media, which logically must be elevating a whole lot more voices than that. Mm. So um, from a kind of freedom of speech point of view or even... I mean, everyone's got freedom of speech, but even from the point of view of who gets heard, 
uh, I think in that sense, social media has been a pretty good thing in that we're probably hearing a lot of different voices that we just didn't hear before. Now, but you go on to say that there's there's a contradictory pull here because there are some positives, but, but you cite things like um, some of the things that are going on in terms of um, various communities around the around the globe, the Rohingya mm. in Myanmar, for example. I've mm-hmm. just heard some stuff about Indonesia, the Indonesian parliament investigating uh, Facebook for spreading hate speech and so on. What's that? What's the other side of it? Well, look, I guess the other side of whatever whatever marketplace of ideas you might be listening to, um, or um, it, it doesn't mean that every idea is a good one. It doesn't mean that every opinion is a good one. The fact that we might be hearing from a lot more people, that of itself might sound like a good thing, but we might be hearing, you know... Uh, we might also be hearing a lot of bad things. Mm-hmm. So uh, you mentioned the Rohingya. I mean, there was a recent uh, UN fact-finding mission has gone to uh, Myanmar. And uh, I think so far it's only been an oral report. I haven't seen a written report. But that oral report uh, does say that Facebook as a platform was a major source of um, of hate speech and hatred directed towards the Rohingya and uh, that that probably has had a, an, an, an impact on the crimes against humanity, uh, on, on driving the crimes against humanity um, and war crimes that have happened in that area. So, you know, that, in that sense, um, you know, giving new voice, uh, you know, can have, can have some bad effects. Yes, and I've, I've uh, heard also there's, there's been issues like exactly what you're saying in, in the Philippines and, and, mm-hmm. and other countries as well. But I want to just turn to the what I, what I understand is the, the, the nub of your argument. You, you're, I think what you're saying is that human rights abuses are actually embedded in the business model that social media companies like Facebook use. And you specifically... Yeah point to things like what, what is, what's been called micro-targeting as, mm-hmm. as one of the issues that we need to pay attention to. What's, what's that all about? Okay, um, I might just walk back a step um, mm. and say I'm not 100% sure the business model is a breach of human rights, but by the time we make that decision, it may well be too late uh, because micro-targeting and the business model is actually fairly new. I mean... I have written about social media um, several times, and, and when I first started writing about social media was around 2011 and the time of the Arab Spring, where I personally, uh, you know, thought that um, probably probably the net effect of social media was very much in favour of human rights, and that was the Arab Spring was an example of um, social media definitely being used to mm. help bring people out on the street, to have largely peaceful protests, and in some instances actually managed to overthrow, um, you know, long-term autocratic governments. Um, when I was writing back in 2011, uh, my understanding was that um, companies like Facebook and Twitter um, weren't yet actually making money. They were valued quite highly because people assumed that at some stage they would develop a business model. But at that point in time, they, they hadn't really started to generate a lot of money. Mm. Now, I'm not sure about Twitter, but Facebook is obviously you know an absolute juggernaut and is, is a listed company and is, is making a lot of money. And the way it makes money is basically out of us, out of our data. And, um, and our data is, uh, well, A, I mean, there's a number of problems with that. One is, I guess, just how much Facebook knows. Mm. 
And I'm not even saying Facebook is using that for any malevolent purpose, but it could. Mm. I mean, it actually could. Mm. And it has enormous amounts of data on so many people. It has 2 billion users. And that level of information in one private company, I'm not saying a public government would be that much better, but in, that, you mm. know, in, a, in a private company like that, that doesn't make me very comfortable. That the potential power that Facebook could have is sort of extraordinary. And the reason I pick on Facebook here is it is the biggest platform. Mm. I mean, Twitter could be just as bad, but it's absolutely dwarfed by Facebook. I don't mm. think, you know, it, it's got several hundred million users, but not two billion. Mm. Mm. So one problem is Facebook's potential power that I just think that just doesn't seem to gel with democratic values. Mm. Um, I don't, I'm not saying that Facebook uh, uses this power for evil or tries of itself to influence elections, but it certainly could. And if it did so, would we know in time? You know, because it's, you know, its use of algorithms is naturally opaque because you know, those algorithms are part of its trade secrets. Mm, mm. So that's one problem. And the other problem is the way that it actually makes money. It, um, it uses our data and it allows, um, it, it, you know, allows people to pay for ads, whether they be ads for goods or ads for you know, politics to push a particular political message, for people to be targeted, um, well, as I say, you know, the, the word is micro-targeting. Yes. So just to compare with, say, normal ads, ads you mm. see on the TV, um, now they are targeted. I mean, uh, the reason an ad is on during The Bachelor is because they're trying to target people who watch The Bachelor. Mm. But that's a pretty, you know, it's a reasonably wide range of people. Whereas on Facebook, they can target you according to the sorts of things that you've liked. Mm. And the more money they pay and the more, you know, they can target you really quite microscopically. Mm. And so that just seems to me to be a different level of advertising, a different level of manipulation. I mean, mm. ads are designed to manipulate. That's what they do. They, mm. they mm. want you to vote a certain way. They want you to buy something. And I'm not going to say ads are a breach of human rights, but now that you can be mm. targeted in this very specific way, um, again, that makes me very uncomfortable. Um, uh, again, that could have quite, um, you know, quite probably unpredictable, uh, unpredictable impacts on, I suppose, again, yes. democracy and the public sphere. Let me turn to something else that you mentioned and something I I had not heard about before. There's been a, something called the Declaration of on Fake News, which which apparently the UN was involved with. Tell us very briefly what that was about. Uh, well, that that's quite interesting. That's a well, that was just a number of um, human uh, international human rights experts. One of them was from the UN. Um, no, uh, uh, actually fills the office of the UN Special Rapporteur on Free Speech. Uh, I think one of them was from the OSCE, which is a European organisation, again, someone who concentrated on free speech. And the third person involved in that was a regional expert on free speech um, from the Inter-American system. And they issued a... Well, I've called it the Fake News Declaration. It's got a sort of... Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. it, it, does, it, it, it does have fake news in its title, but it's got, right. like, a lot of international documents, a fairly long, boring name. Right, so and, you've, you've, um, sh- you've shortened it for us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, I mean, that's, it's fair to call it the Fake News Declaration, and it's just a statement uh, by them about fake news and mm. 
actually clarifying that the deliberate spread of fake news, at least by a state, um, so I guess, you know, Russia or any other state that wants to try and do this, with the deliberate aim of trying to, you know, poison the political mm. well of another country, that that is certainly an interference with sovereignty and probably a breach of um, a variety of human rights. Uh, but they also go on to talk about how to combat it. And that's where it gets interesting because given they're all free speech experts, their immediate option is not to just go and try and censor it. Their immediate option is to try and, you know, educate people on mm, digital literacy mm. and so on so they don't get sucked in by this sort of yes. stuff. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, do, you see, do you see that? Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up, but in relation to what, what you've just spoken about, do you, do you see the, the education part of it as possibly one way of, of uh, getting around this sort of stuff? Or, or does, does there have to be more government intervention, more government regulation? I'm not comfortable with the idea of more government regulation because one thing about fake news is, is even to try and decide what is it. I mean, some fake news is satire. Some fake news is, um, you know, is malicious and is fake. Some is just opinion. And some of the stuff that Cambridge Analytica was apparently spreading, um, or, uh, I'm sorry, it may, it may have been Cambridge Analytica, or actually now I think it was probably, um, you know, some of the allegations mm. against Russia in the American election, were things that were true. They weren't fake news, but they were being micro-targeted at people to, to get yep. a certain reaction, um, the mm. reaction being to, um, you know, perhaps vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, one example I've read about was material that portrayed Hillary Clinton as being, um, you know, very friendly to the Muslim community, which, um, you know, was, was probably a true story. Mm-hmm. And it was being micro-targeted to try and, you know, play on the bigoted reactions of the people they were targeting. Whereas, had that ad been sent to everybody, you would have got a bigoted reaction from some, some people, mm-hmm. a very friendly, positive reaction from others. So mm-hmm. that was a story which, to my knowledge, was actually true, but it was being used in this fairly malicious way. I don't know how you can combat that. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's at the back end to try and control who uses Facebook and to control anonymous accounts but I, I don't know mm. how you know uh, it, it seems that the tech that it's going to be uh, I'm probably not technologically savvy enough to know how you could target that but um, well, what we'll it, have... it's difficult because I, I, I'm just not sure that I can I, I would trust yes. governments to try and clamp down on this stuff Sarah we're going to give you some a few maybe a few months to think more about some of these issues and we we'd really like to get back to you and and chat a bit more about all of this because as you say it's very complex and uh, multi-layered so mm. thank you very much for being on communication mixdown okay thank you that was Sarah Joseph and she's director of the Castan Center for Human Rights Law at Monash University and her article from the conversation is entitled why the business model of social media giants like Facebook is incompatible with human rights. And we'll be putting that up on the Communication Mixdown website. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. 
At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Brunswick short film competition is on again this April. Come and see the entries all competing for $5,000 in prize money in the Sydney Road open category and music videos along with highlights from previous years. Screening at Sydney Road venues, Biff Tannen's Bar on the 24th and Barclay Square Laneway on the 19th with the final and winners announced at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute on Friday, April 27th at 7pm. Free entry and just a $5 donation for the final night. For more info, head to sydneyroad.com.au. The Sydney Road Brunswick Short Film Competition is... And uh, you are with Communication Mixdown. Anyone's been interested in the current and future directions of social media, digital technology and human rights would be well advised to head along to a very special and, I might add, a very timely community event happening this Friday and Saturday. The event is called Internet Community Hack and Defending Truth. And our next guest is one of the organizing team, and he's software developer and digital rights advocate, Andrew Jones. Hello, Andrew. Hi, John. How are you? Good. Now, Internet Community Hack, Defending Truth. Tell us about the event and what was the thinking behind it? Because I think, as it turns out, this event is very, very important at a very critical juncture at this point. Yeah, so it, it turns out that it, um, the the timing, the particular timing around um, uh, that we have now is a is a is I wouldn't call it a lucky coincidence, but it's a coincidence nonetheless. We've been planning this for a little while. We think it we thought it was timely when we started organising it because the more the more that we let the internet become a place that isolates us, that makes us, that makes it harder to be ourselves, a place that we don't want to express ourselves, um, and we get treated more and more like the property of, of the tech giants. Um, we, we, we really need to, to take control to make it a place where we can become more connected, make more, you know, become more ourselves, you know, um, be more equal, you know, for the, for the good of humanity rather than for the good of, for the good of the few. And it just it just so happened that um, there was a um, this um, the the Facebook debacle um, coming to light that has, mm-hmm. has shown how important this stuff really is. So it was a bit of a historical accident, as you said, but uh, a very lucky one for you. Mm. Yeah, indeed. And tell us a little bit more about the event. It's happening over two days, as I understand, and. Uh, each day has a different kind of emphasis. What's what's going to how's it going to work? So, the, there's two two parts to this. On, on one hand, it's a it's a hack day, um, and for those you know, for, for folks in the in the tech community, this is a, a a chance for technologists, like not just developers, but you know, or lots of people involved in in technology to come together and and hack on um, to 
to build, you know, hack in the sense of build something, um, you know, for a particular cause. Like you, uh, your listeners might be aware of a big event called GovHack, which runs every year. It's a huge national event, or HealthHack, where they take you know, government data or health data and try and do something, you know, for the for the public good with that. But it's a very sort of focused event over a couple of days, just trying to test a few ideas and and turn something into into like bring some an idea to life. Um, so that's what we've got here. So we're looking. To, to build some tangible technology that will help people, you know, take you know take back freedom on the internet. And that, that might be Andrew. That happens um, on so that, sorry on that happens on Friday. Is that right? So that, that's the Friday night. Um, Friday night will be sort of forming ideas um, and and getting into teams, um, and then that continues on on picks up again on Saturday morning and runs through to Saturday evening. Um, and on Saturday evening, starting at around 5.30, we've actually got a, a, um, a series of, of a speakers in different areas of digital rights, um, you know, all experts, um, to, to talk about, um, you know, why, why we need to do something about internet freedom. Mm. And uh, if, uh, if people can't get along to a whole bunch of stuff, and, and mm-hmm. particularly in relation to the speakers, Let's say you wanted to uh, pick out a couple that that are, are must must listen to. So who who would you be picking? Um, so some of the ones I'm uh, particularly looking forward to. Um, we've got um, Laurie Love in in conversation with uh, Monique Mann. Um, you know, talking about all of the the the, the really horrible things that governments around the world are doing um, against internet freedom and privacy. Um, you know, particularly. You know, with the war on maths in Australia or, you know, across the Five Eyes Alliance. Um, hmm. And they get, um, you know, uh, Laurie Love is, a, is a kind of an expert in this, um, you know, having uh, recent success, you know, fighting the extradition and known in the US prison, you know, and how um, there's some ways we can fight back against internet apathy, um, you know, these reactions against privacy and, and, hmm. and government um, interference. That, that one's going to be particularly interesting. Um We've got um, um, Adam Molnar talking about digital thresholds and the collateral risk of policing online. Mm. Um, there's um, um, uh, we've got Lily Ryan talking about the rage against the ghost in the machine, which is actually on Friday night. Um, you know, talking about um, what happens to your the data that exists on you um, online after after you die. Oh, um, wow. what, okay. what actually happens to that data? Um, <laughs> right. Oh, very um, interesting, extremely interesting, yeah. Andrew. Very, know, very interesting. I've I've seen that talk before. It is it is fascinating. And this is um, on Friday. This one's Friday night. Yeah. So Lily's talk is on Friday. The restaurant Saturday. Okay. Um, we've also got um, um, uh, Asher Wolf, um, who was the the founder of the crypto party movement. Um, you know, talking about weird networks in, in digital rights activism. Um, Glenn Harper's talking about fake news, which I think is particularly relevant to your audience. Yes, absolutely. We just uh, covered that just just uh, just mm. the first part of the show, in fact. Yeah. So there's there's um we've got a lot of talk, you know, right across the spectrum of of sort of things that come under the Internet Freedom banner. And uh, tell us how people can find out a bit more and and uh, how they can go if they if if there are still mm-hmm. places to to let people in. So all the information is on uh, on our website, which is internetfreedomhack.org. Um, that'll that'll redirect you to the Melbourne uh, the Melbourne registration page. Um, we're also running the the event is running simultaneously in Brisbane as well. So there's um, oh, okay. 
some of the, the talks are actually going to be streamed um, back and forth between uh, our Brisbane and our Melbourne sites, which is going to be should be really fun. Um, but the same, exactly the same thing is happening in Brisbane. Wow. Um, so, but um, if yeah, if if folks want to visit internetfreedomhack.org, um, the, all the details are there. So that, um, but the event itself is kicking off in in the city in Melbourne. Um, um, uh, tomorrow evening um, at uh, in. Um, yeah, all the details are on, on the Online. site. Online, yep, yep. Yes. Well, okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll let people know about that. And it's, uh, you better, actually, you better repeat the, the details just, just one more mm-hmm. time for us. Yep. So, internetfreedomhack.org. Okay, so... Anybody, all one word. All right, if anybody's listening and interested in that stuff, and actually, I, it sounds like a, it's, it's at this point, it's probably unmissable. I, I, I really think that's, <laughs> that's the case at this point. Look, I, I want to thank yeah, you so... Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it's definitely, I think, awareness of this issue is important, but the, I think the key, the key message we're getting out there is people can actually, you know, do something to, to, to take back control of the internet. mm Fantastic. And uh, look, all the best for the event and also all the um, digital organizing and advocacy that you're involved in as well, Andrew. Thank you very much, John. And the event is called Internet Community Hack Defending Truth, and it's happening, as you heard, tomorrow night and Saturday. And we were talking with Andrew Jones. He's a digital rights advocate and one of the organizing team. That's it for us. Communication Mixed Down will be here again next week on Thursday. Speak to you then.